From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. So, have you heard about cord cutting? If you haven't, that's kind of surprising because cord cutters seem to love nothing more than talking about how they've cut their cords. But all jokes aside, cord cutters are people who have canceled their cable TV subscriptions and rely exclusively on streaming platforms like Netflix and Hulu for their entertainment needs. It's become a more appealing option for people who don't want to pay for cable TV's huge bundle of channels, but when you cut the cord, there's at least one thing you're missing out on, and that is taxes. Tucked deep within nearly every cable bill is a tax that goes to a state or municipality. But with more and more cord cutting happening every day, those local governments are seeing this tax revenue dry up. Now, some people are arguing that streaming giants like Netflix should be subject to this levy. And some of those people, or should I say some of those municipalities, are filing lawsuits. Netflix was the first to get sued in 2018, but now we have lawsuits in around a dozen states, and Disney, Dish, and DirecTV are also defendants. Today on Talking Tax, we present two opposing viewpoints on this matter. In a bit, we'll hear from Ulrich Boson, a senior policy analyst with the Tax Foundation. But first, we speak with Cheryl Lianza, an attorney with the firm Best Best and Krieger, who specializes in communications law. She spoke with Bloomberg tax correspondent Michael Bologna and explained the origins of this cable TV tax. We had our old, originally it was our copper, t- copper twisted pair that gave us telecommunications, gave us telephone service. Often that infrastructure and the permission to be in the right of way uh, came from um, early, early requests to states for a, a local telephone company to be in the right of way to provide service. Local governments have always managed the right of way and always given permission for companies to get into the right of way to use it to provide services to the public. So when cable television first began, local government was were issuing franchises to give permission for cable companies to do that. And there was no federal regulation uh, involved. It was just the ordinary practice. The fees are incredibly important because not only do local governments have to maintain the right of way, and that's certainly expensive and coordinate and make sure that everybody, every user in the right of way is protected, coordinate among not just telecommunications, water, power, there's a lot going on there. But in addition, the taxpayer pays for that infrastructure. And so part of the role of local government is to make sure that the taxpayer is compensated when a private actor try- is using that public infrastructure for uh, to sell a private product. So now let's talk about um, streaming services. Um, in, in what regard can we say that streaming services like uh, Netflix and Hulu use that infrastructure? And, um, and I'm asking this in particular because those companies assert that their business model really is fundamentally different from what cable uh, cable companies do? Yeah, that's a great question. And really, to answer that question, I think we have to take a little bit of a step back and think about the big picture. Because right now, I think what we're seeing and, and some of the l- l- lawsuits that you've been covering and writing about is a change in how we all get our information and thus a change in thinking about how do we pay for this infrastructure, who is responsible for various pieces of it. So, On one level, you cannot deny that obviously people receive Netflix and Hulu over wires that are in the right of way that are owned by cable companies or uh, by telephone companies providing Internet service. So clearly they ride in the, you know, that that material comes through the right of way or it might come through a tower if it's a wireless service. But there's no question that it comes there. So the question is, well, how come they haven't had to pay before and how come they're being asked to pay 
now. And I think that goes to this question of who benefits from the internet, right? The internet historically um, was in a lot of policy ways considered a, a new it's a new technology we want to go light on it we don't want to have regulation we want to promote to make sure that everybody has broadband and of course that is still true um, but at the same time we also are thinking about well why now that internet is becoming the dominant provider of communications and entertainment why should that infrastructure be exempted from rules when similar infrastructure like cable television has to pay so the, we need to decide, and our society is getting ready to decide, how we know who has to pay for what. And that's where all this conflict is coming up now, because we haven't really thought about it uh, thoroughly to take into account all the different parties that use the infrastructure and how they earn revenue and what's appropriate. Well, why don't you describe a little bit about the kind of litigation we are seeing across the country where municipalities are affirmatively going to, to, to judges and saying, hey... These folks should have been paying all along, yeah. <laughs> right. So one of the important things to know is that there's a few different strands of, of debate going on in the legal and regulatory landscape. So one debate are these local governments which have looked at uh, their state laws which require, for example, payment uh, to a local community. And they've said, hey, yeah, exactly as you said, Netflix and Hulu your content is going over this infrastructure in a right of way. Um, if Comcast, for example, has to pay a fee to us for people to watch television via Comcast, why not? Why isn't uh, Hulu and Netflix contributing? There's also a debate that's going on right now with regard to the Federal Communications Commission and how it, uh, the role that it plays in governing what local governments are supposed to or permitted to do with regard to the cable franchises. So. That's the those both address the similar set of issues, which is who pays, who's appropriately, who gets to decide who pays. Is it a local government? Is it a federal decision? Is it a state decision? And then how much do you pay? How do you decide what's mm -hmm, appropriate? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, well, do you have any thoughts about which avenue is going to be more successful, or how are you looking at that? Yeah, I. It's going to be very interesting. I think the most important thing to look at now is that every state law is very different. It's very particularized. And so the outcome is going to be quite contingent on the particular state law, the particular facts that the localities use in that case, and then um, and then really just, you know, sometimes, you know, different judges will look at a very similar situation and come out differently. These are on the edge of what I think was originally contemplated by the laws. I think right now we don't really know what's going to happen. I think it's going to be very particular and you're going to get different answers based on different laws and different factual scenarios. And then we're going to have that next wave once we see what's happened um, to determine you know, whether states want to revise their laws, whether the federal government will revise its interpretation of the Federal Cable Act, which governs a lot of these questions. Um, and then we'll see. So I think it's it's still early days with regard to the state litigation. And even though the federal the federal regulatory interpretations are almost at the end of a first phase, 
we now have a new administration and we think that the new FCC will probably be taking another look at this as well. Well, let me throw um, one sort of federal question at you uh, that we're seeing in the litigation so far. And so Netflix and Hulu are asserting that these municipalities are attempting to impose an illegal tax on e-commerce in violation of the Internet Tax Freedom Act. So how does that argument um, strike you? Well, the Internet Tax Freedom Act does two things. It prohibits a tax on internet access service itself, which I don't think Hulu and Netflix provide. And then it prohibits a discriminatory tax on something that is uh, e-commerce as opposed to bricks and mortar commerce. So you can't discriminate against particular kinds of um, uh, services because they're on the internet. So I'm not sure that the, generally speaking, that argument is going to hold water in most of the cases that we're seeing go through the state courts. Uh, It's possible that a state would adopt a law that um, could discriminate, and then obviously that would be a question for the court to decide. I mean, certainly that dispute is happening right now in the state of Maryland, which has tried to impose a tax on um, digital advertising. And so, for example, that's a debate there. But a lot of these um, cases are more premised on whether Netflix and Hulu are using the right of way, and in which case, in fact, the state or the locality is trying to treat Netflix and Hulu the same as it would treat, you know, the Comcast product or, you know, the more traditional cable television. If you get ESPN or you get HBO from your cable provider, that that service is contributing, that revenue from that service is the is the basis for a fee that the local government collects. So the question is not really, is Netflix and Hulu um, being discriminated against, but are they getting a favorable treatment uh, that's better than competing products? And you alluded to before that um, some of the, these cases may come down to um, the way that particular state statute is written and and whether or not th- th- this all fits together. So in, in that vein, I think some commentators have said that municipalities would really be much better off if they just revised their tax codes or their uh, franchise fee codes uh, and and maybe imposed either a sales tax on streaming services or, uh, or some type of amusement tax. Um, would you recommend that sort of uh, uh, strategy as opposed to, to litigation? Or do you, do you anticipate we would see some states acting in that way? I certainly think localities are looking at the statutes they have and attempting to vindicate rights under the statutes they have. If it turns out that a court says, no, you don't have those rights under this statute, then certainly I could see states looking and saying, wait, we're leaving a lot of revenue on the table here. I think it's important to think that you know localities can certainly impose taxes or they can impose fees on industries that are using their infrastructure. Um, that's really going to be a decision. The mix of that is really going to be decision on a state by state and locality by locality basis, right? Local elected leaders want to choose what the appropriate mix is that serves their community's needs. So I don't think there's one single way to approach this. Um, the goal of this is to have a, a fair contribution towards the overall needs of the community. That was Cheryl Lianza, an attorney with Best Best and Krieger. Now we hear a very different viewpoint. Ulrich Boson, a senior policy analyst with the Tax Foundation, spoke with Michael Bologna, and he says the move to impose these taxes on Netflix and other streamers is 100% a result of cord cutters. I think this is just a a trend because of change, changes to the consumption pattern of consumers. So 
in 2021, I think we're about 50-50 of households have cable, 50% use streaming only. It's only going to go in one direction. More people are going to cut the cord and just move uh, exclusively to streaming services and get rid of cable altogether. So localities are looking at a source of revenue going away. Um, it's no surprise that they want to sustain their revenue. I think that's that's the impetus here. They're just they're driven by the need for revenue and a good solid source of revenue is disappearing. And you're looking at the substitute for this service, the substitute for cable is streaming services. So they're like, well, how about we just tax the substitute in the same way that we always tax cable? Cable companies probably support this too because they're seeing this as a competitive disadvantage to them. They're being taxed for providing entertainment services. Streaming services aren't being taxed for providing oftentimes very similar services. The big difference obviously is that streaming services do not utilize the right of way. They're not out there putting down cable. They're you know fully delivering their services over the internet. So a right of way fee on a company that doesn't use the right of way does not seem legitimate. Now we're seeing litigation nonetheless in uh, by municipalities in 13 states thus far. So um, in your view, are the localities you know out uh, ahead of their skis on this? I don't think litigation is the right way to go about this. I think they're trying to force streaming services into an outdated tax code. So they're, they're looking at tax definitions that define entertainment services in a certain way or cable companies in a certain way. And they're thinking maybe we can squeeze streaming services into this and then we could levy the tax on them. This is more of a, a situation that should be solved at the political level. If there is really a need to tax these companies, if there's a legitimate reason to tax these companies, the political system or the lawmakers should just devise a tax. There's no need to go to the courts for this. Um, they go to the courts because they want to force the companies into an existing definition in the tax code rather than go through and update the tax code altogether. Um, so don't think, I don't think that's the right way to go about it. I and mean, we see this in, in other areas, right? We, we've talked about before wireless taxation, where you see a similar issue where more and more consumers are utilizing more and more data, which you cannot tax because of the federal prohibition against taxing internet access. So what do localities do? They raise the rates on the existing voice part of the plan that they can still tax. So this is just, you know, these patterns, we see them all over. Uh, because localities need the revenue, they're providing services. Their option or sort of their menu of, of tax options is much smaller than this at the state level or the federal level. So they're trying to go after the things that they've been taxing for decades, even if they have to force new types of consumption or new types of services into old tax categories, even when it's not appropriate. Mm-hmm. So we've already had some rulings in some of these uh, cases uh, where where judges and I think four states have tossed uh, the, the complaints brought by the municipalities. What, what kinds of issues were important to the judges and what, how, how do you think courts are going to kind of look at this going forward? I think it very much depends on the definition of the right-of-way fee, which will be different from state to state. So there are probably some states where the definition, if you read it in a certain way, could encapsulate streaming services. But in the majority of states, it clearly does not. The intention clearly does not. It was written before streaming services were in existence. And that's, you know, what the, what the rulings have been about is this, is this is clearly expanding beyond the intent of the legislature at the time this was written. There's been a few cases um, that are still ongoing where they might be successful. 
Um, and it is really up to the judge in each case. And then the language, the definitions that were written many years ago that were written with no intention of taxing streaming services, but they might be written in a way that you could potentially, if you read in a certain way, say, oh, it also covers streaming services. Well, now, if, if municipalities or some municipalities are successful in this, it seems like you have concerns that we might be on a, a, a broader slippery slope as well. And if I could just read back something that you wrote, uh, uh, if providing a service through the Internet is enough justification to levy a separate tax, is it not clear what, if any, limiting principle there could be to prevent all online services from being separately taxed. So um, are we possibly on a slippery slope with the local jurisdictions doing this kind of engineering? Yeah, I think so. I think, I mean, this was a response to some of the arguments for why it should be taxed, right? I mean, just saying because it's delivered over the Internet legitimizes the tax is definitely a slippery slope. So much of our consumption is delivered over the Internet and shouldn't be taxed. Some of it, I think, harpens back to what I mentioned before, is that we have banned taxing Internet access. So states and localities can't tax Internet access, so they're trying to tax it. What we do on the Internet instead. Um, I'm sure they would love to tax your you know, Internet data plan. They can't. So the only other option is really is to tax what you do when you're on the Internet. Right? So localities are, are very limited in what they can tax. They often have to rely on property taxes for the vast majority of their revenue. And then they have a few other things they can tax. So when you start taking away some of those options, they become very creative or they start taxing the few things they have left at very high rates. That's not legitimate just because you're taking away other revenue options. Um, and, and you need wider reform to fix this issue. Uh, just taxing, overtaxing voice uh, plans or overtaxing streaming services or whatever else they might come up with. Um, that's sort of an act of desperation more so than good policy. You seem to believe that that uh, raising revenue from uh, streaming services uh, makes sense, but maybe in, a, in the context of a sales tax, right? Uh, so why don't you talk a little bit about that? And um, do, do you see more states moving in that direction and maybe more localities moving in that direction uh, when the dust settles? I hope so. Um, the sales tax really is there to tax our consumption, and that's all our consumption. When, when the sales tax were designed, you know, 80 years ago, 70 years ago, the economy was very goods-based and the sales tax is levied on goods. Now, today, our economy is very service-based. The sales tax still levied on goods. So the sales tax is less effective than it used to be just because we've changed our consumption path. And I think a good example of, of the non-neutrality and inequity in the sales tax today is if I go to Target and buy a DVD, it'll be taxed with the sales tax. But if I buy a Netflix subscription for a month, it's oftentimes not taxed. Now, that's an issue because I'm consuming the same thing. So what we would like to see is more services, more digital services being taxed with this standard sales tax like any other consumption. And hopefully that's where we're going with all this. That was Ulrich Boson, a senior policy analyst with the Tax Foundation. Before that, you heard Cheryl Lianza, an attorney with Best Best and Krieger. They spoke with Bloomberg Taxes, Michael Bologna. You can find up-to-the-minute news and the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. And if you want to get in touch with us, use the Twitter handle, at tax. That's it, at tax. Today's Talking Tax was produced by myself, David Schultz, and Michael Bologna. 
Patrick Ambrosio is our editor. Our executive producer is Josh Block from Washington. I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. The number of words in the tax code is estimated to be 1 million, about the same length as the entire Harry Potter series. Add in IRS regs, rev rulings, and case law, and it can be a lot. We all need a little help to sort it out. Each week on the Tax Girl podcast, I talk to the best in the business. And these aren't crazy technical dives. They're interesting and easy to digest looks at topics that matter to you. It's all that you need to stay ahead on the most important tax issues. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on taxgirl.com because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't be.